Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. Well, good morning. <clears throat> um, I know that since we're a bit more packed today, the offering's still going around, but if you are uh, here to help with Children's Church, Miss. Whitney is going to be in the back right there for K through second graders um, to go and be with her. Uh, today is UM Army send-off. You may or may not have noticed the extra people in the room. Uh, they are heading to Lufkin for the week in the hot, hot Texas sun to uh, love on people and love on the Lord. It'll be a great week, and I'm really excited for y'all. UM Army always has a special place in my heart. <clears throat> Because it was where the Lord called me into ministry, and so it'll always be special for me. And then next week, uh, during this service next week, will be UM Army Sunday here in the Vine, where we'll hear the testimonies of how the Lord transformed the lives of students this week. Um, We're in the middle of our summer series called our Withness Series, looking at what are those essential relationships that we need to have within the Christian faith. Who are those types of people, these relationships that, as a Christian, we have to have in order to fully flourish as followers of Jesus? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm going to start off today by singing a song to you. And I'm sure that you are all pumped about this. All right, I don't like singing alone, though. So if you recognize the song, you are more than welcome. In fact, you are heartily encouraged to sing along with me. All right, are you ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Hey, we all know it. Karen, are you teaching our kids the classics and the hits? Thank you. Good. Um, If you may or may not have caught it from that song, we're talking about Zacchaeus today. Uh, the wee little man, as the song says, which, oh man, you gotta really feel for Zacchaeus, don't you? Like, he has, his story is in the Bible. He has this profound encounter with the Lord, and our children's song is, remember that really short dude that had that encounter with Jesus? Oh man, just my nightmare. Just imagine, oh, poor Zacchaeus. But what's interesting is, I've talked about this before, is um, when I grew up in the faith, I grew up in church, and you kind of hear these like children's stories of the of Gospels, and they leave out some details, not because they're being malicious, but just because, you know, children can't understand the full story that's being told. And so as I grew up and I went back to the text, I was like, oh, there's some details that we're missing just a little bit. And this is one of those stories that in the song, I don't think it fully captures Zacchaeus and what the Lord is doing in his life. And so we're going to be looking at that today. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, which is the story of Zacchaeus. In church tradition, Zacchaeus was... uh, 
uh, had a big prominent role in the early church. That tradition says that uh, he became the bishop of Caesarea, that he became a leader in the Jesus movement. And we're looking at what does it mean to have relationships with people like Zacchaeus in our lives, those who are searching for Jesus or maybe just searching for something. What does it mean then to have people like that in our lives? This is the story in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is the story of Zacchaeus, a story of a man who is deep in sin, and yet Jesus restored and redeemed. And so how do we have relationships like this in our lives? What does it mean to have a relationship with someone like Zacchaeus? And before we get into that, I want to talk a bit about everyone's favorite profession, tax collectors. Specifically, tax collectors back in biblical times, that was the main characterization of Zacchaeus, not him being a wee little man, but him being a wealthy tax collector who was a sinner. And when it came to empire building in Rome, what they would do is they would come and conquer a territory and conquer a province, and they made this sharp distinction between those who were Roman citizens and those who were not. And within the empire, most of the people were conquered peoples, not Roman citizens. And that Rome saw their vast territory and these provinces as territories meant to be plundered. And so they did that, and they would go and tax the local population. And what they would do is, rather than sending people from Rome, rather than sending citizens from Rome to come into the provinces to collect taxes, they would sell this office of tax collector to the highest bidder in the area. And so the tax collectors throughout the Roman Empire were locals who had betrayed their own people to collaborate with the occupying empire in the region. And what Rome would do is they would go to these tax collectors, these locals, and they would say, hey, here's the deal. At the end of the month, I must get $100 worth of taxes. That's all that I need is $100 worth of taxes. And so what these tax collectors would go and do is they would go to a, sit- they would go to a-, a person and they'd say, hey, Jeremy, you owe me $150 worth of taxes. It's what uh, Rome requires of you. And they would have these 
big Roman soldiers next to him. And so you would give the tax collectors some money because uh, you valued your life and you didn't want Roman soldiers to take it. And so they would give the $150 to the tax collector and the tax collector would give 100 to Rome and pocket the 50 And the tax collectors would do this time and time and time again. They were exploiting their own people, using and participating in the empire, and they would profit. They would have this massive amounts of greed. They participated in the oppression of the empire against their own people and would exploit them for their own personal greed. And in Judea, the Roman province, uh, these Jews who collaborated with Rome were often, uh, because they had so much interactions with Romans and Romans were Gentiles, they were ceremonially unclean and thus they were excluded from the religious activities of the day. In fact, I don't think we grasp how much they hated tax collectors in this day. I mean, we have a dislike for tax collectors But I don't think we have this visceral hatred like the people in Scripture did. But it was this deep anger, this deep hatred because they're sinners and they're betraying their own people. And it's just this visceralness about it. In fact, Jesus uses this to make a point. In the parable of the two sons in Matthew's gospel, it says this. Jesus says, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first one and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. I will not, he answered. But then later he changed his mind and went. And then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. And the second son answered, I will, sir. But then the second son did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, the Pharisees answered. And so Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Jesus uses this sort of archetypal sinner as an example to shine a light into the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and to shine a light into the Pharisees that you're not really following after the Lord even though you claim to do. And these people that you revile and hate are being more obedient to the God because they're repentant and not you. I was reading uh, one of my commentaries and it says that in Luke's gospel, the way that Luke uses tax collectors is they are portrayed as the archetypal sinner who is beyond the pale of salvation. And so here we have a man in Luke's gospel, in Luke 19 of Zacchaeus, who not only was a tax collector, the scripture said he was the chief tax collector. He was the head tax collector, and Jericho was a major thoroughfare in that day, and you'd have all these trading caravans go through. And so Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man because he was the chief tax collector in Jericho, that big prosperous center of trade in the empire. He had under tax collectors underneath him. So he's even more wicked, more hated, and more despised. And so if we're called to have relationships with people like Zacchaeus, what does that mean for us? What does it mean to have a relationship with someone like Zacchaeus, to have those type of people in our lives? The first is this, understanding this truth. No one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. No one is beyond the saving grace of Jesus. 
when we think about these relationships with those around us, this point cannot be overstated, that all can be saved regardless of their past. All can be saved regardless of their past. There's this sort of the Wesleyan, um, Wesleyan alls of our Wesleyan theology, which is all can be saved, all can know that they are saved, and all can be saved to the uttermost. That foundational to our Methodist theology is this idea, all persons can be saved because God loved all people and God sent his son to save all people, that there is no one that we encounter who is beyond the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And do we live our lives interacting with people around us as if they are beyond salvation? Do we interact with the Zacchaeuses in our lives, the hated, sinful tax collector, the people that we think are outside of the bounds of God's grace? Do we treat them as such or do we treat them like Jesus does? Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. And this is the truly shocking part of the story that's meant to shake up his audience is that Jesus sees Zacchaeus in the tree and he calls him by name to come down from the tree because we're going to feast at your house tonight. That when Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, he doesn't see Zacchaeus the tax collector, Zacchaeus the sinner, Zacchaeus the collaborator with the empire. He sees Zacchaeus the one made in the image of God who is able to be transformed and renewed by the person of Jesus. He sees the freedom and the life change that Zacchaeus can have. All he needed to do was encounter the living God in Jesus Christ. That when we interact with people in our lives, when we interact with whoever we deem to be tax collectors, whoever we deem to be hated and despised, those outside the pale of God's grace, whoever that is for you, that we cannot look at people with our human eyes and our human heart, but rather we need to look at people with the eyes of Jesus, with the eyes of Christ. Second Timothy says this, Here's a trustworthy saying deserving a full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst of all. Luke's gospel says this, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came into the world to enter into the messy lives of people like Zacchaeus, to enter into that messiness. If we want to be like Jesus, if we want to have these relationships with people like Zacchaeus, then we have to be willing to engage in the messy ministry of being with sinners. I heard this illustration at New Room a few years ago, and I really like it. Um, the author was talking about, or the speaker was talking about holiness. And she said that often when we think of holiness and righteousness, we think of holiness like white pants. They're pristine, they're clean, but when you wear white pants, you also have to be very, very careful 
not to get anything on them. You can't eat Italian food. You have to just be very, very careful and just kind of have this like six-foot bubble all around you or else something will get on your white pants and then it'll be soiled when you get on things on your white pants. And she said, oftentimes we think of holiness kind of like that. That we have to keep our distance from dark things. We have to keep our distance from dark people. And we have to be very careful to have this bubble around us or else it'll mess us up and get us all dirty. And she said, what if holiness, instead of treating it like white pants, it's actually bleach that pours out into the messy things of the world, that pours out into the darkness, that pours out and makes other things white, that we don't have to be afraid of the messiness and the sin of others because we know the one who has conquered sin. We know the one who has cleansed us and we can enter into the homes of tax collectors and dine with them because we know the one who can transform and redeem them. That that is the heart of the gospel. That the blood of the lamb is what makes us white as snow. Friends, who is that tax collector in your life? That person that you think is beyond salvation, beyond grace, beyond redemption, and yet their life seems to be searching for something. There's this missing element in their life, and you can see the searching in their eyes and the searching in their actions. Maybe they're searching for Jesus, or maybe they're searching just for something. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find our rest in thee. Who is the Zacchaeus in your life? If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to be people who go out into the world to pour out the love of Christ into the world, into our workplace, into our schools, into our families, because there's people all around us, just like Zacchaeus, who desperately need to hear the word from Jesus, I'm coming to dine in your house today, and that salvation has come to this house today. I want us to be a church I want us to be a building where this place is where fuel is added to the fire of your faith so that you can take that holy fire, take the Spirit of God with you out into the world, to the Zacchaeuses in your life, to the tax collectors in this world, so that they can hear, Jesus wants to come to your house today. And the transformation that Jesus can bring in people's life, that Zacchaeus, who is a sinner, who is unrepentant, who has been exploiting his own people for personal gain, meets Jesus and becomes clean. He repents and turns away from his wicked ways, that this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is transformation that Jesus can do in our lives, that Jesus desires to bring in the lives of everyone around us. Friends, I don't want a sprinkling of Jesus in our community. I don't want a sprinkling of Jesus in my church, and I want deep life transformation for me, for you, for those outside of these walls. Is Jesus just seasoning for your life, or do you see him as a completely new, different, and better feast to dine at? Do you see the gospel that way? So not only is no one beyond the grace of our Lord. But to have relationships with people like Zacchaeus, we need to ask ourselves the question, are you blocking or elevating the way to Jesus? Are you blocking or elevating the way to Jesus? I got this insight from one of the church fathers and their commentary on this passage that they were saying, 
Zacchaeus not only was, spiritually, was physically short, he was also spiritually short. That Zacchaeus physically couldn't see his way to Jesus, but he also spiritually couldn't see his way to Jesus. He needed to climb into the sycamore tree in order to physically see Jesus. And there's these two elements in this story. There's the crowd who's blocking the way to Jesus, preventing people like Zacchaeus from seeing the Savior walking by. And then there's the sycamore tree, the tree that elevates spiritually short people like Zacchaeus to a level where he can now see the Lord. And so Zacchaeus climbs the tree in order to physically see Jesus, and he also needed to spiritually climb the tree to see Jesus. Friends, I think that we can make that analogy for our own lives as well. Are we the type of people who live the way that blocks the view for Zacchaeus? Or are our lives elevating the way to Jesus? Because the crowd is standing in the way, blocking the view of Jesus. Are you blocking your, the view of Zacchaeus by the way that you live your life? By the way you say you'll do one thing and live differently? Or are you blocking the way to Jesus by just neglecting to tell others about him? Friends, I want us to be people who are tree planters. I want us to be people who live our faith so radically, so abundantly, that our faith is like trees that people can climb into the branches of our lives and can't help but see the Lord walking by. Are we inviting people to climb the branches of our faith? The Zacchaeuses in our lives must encounter Jesus for themselves. And this is the good news, is that we don't have to do the life transformation. We don't have to do that. Jesus does that. Jesus does almost all the work in this passage. That he sees Zacchaeus, he calls for him to come down, he goes to his house, and then when he's in his house, he's the one that declares forgiveness and salvation for them. Jesus does all of that. We don't. But we need to be people who elevate others so that they can see and encounter this Lord that we ourselves have encountered and experienced. Are we facilitators for that type of encounter or inhibitors? Because evangelism is just extending the invitation, telling your story, come and see this Jesus that I have encountered. Come and get a glimpse at this Jesus and you will not be disappointed. I want to close with a story um, from St. Augustine. If you haven't read Augustine's Confessions, I quote it a lot. I would highly recommend reading it if you're looking for a read. Confessions by St. Augustine. And in it, uh, Augustine is telling the story. For those of you who don't know, Augustine is one of the church fathers in northern Africa in about the year 300-ish. He grew up in the faith. He walked away from the faith, and then he came back to the faith. And Confessions is basically his autobiography. And he's telling the story of how he came back to the faith. And Augustine was really having this wrestling moment with the Lord. He was seeking, he wanted to become a Christian, kind of, but he wasn't quite ready to just commit because he knew of all the things he would have to give up in order to become a Christian. And he was having some friends over at his house, and he had this conversation with the friend who's, I don't know Latin, so this, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Pontican, I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm just going to say Ponty from here on out. 
He was having a conversation with this friend named Ponty, who was of the same profession as Augustine, which was a rhetorician, uh, someone who made arguments on behalf of the government. And Ponty, he noticed that they were talking, that there was a scroll out on the table. And Ponty looked at the scroll and he noticed that it was a letter by St. Paul. He said, oh, you're reading St. Paul. And Augustine's like, yeah, I've actually been studying it and I'm really interested in it. And Ponty says, well, let me tell you how I became a Christian. Let me tell you my story. And Ponty tells the story about how him and a friend had just heard the story of Antony of Egypt. Uh, Antony of Egypt was uh, a rich young man in the Roman Empire who heard the call uh, on a Sunday morning to uh, sell your possessions to the poor. And so Antony gave up his lavish lifestyle, sold all that he had to the poor, and then he went and lived in the Egyptian desert as a monk. And so uh, Ponty heard this story of the, the person who left his cushy job with the Roman government and sold all that he had. And Ponty said that when he first heard the story, him and his friend were talking about it. And this is what uh, Ponty said. Suddenly we were filled with holy love and sobering shame. Angry with myself, I turned to my friend and said, tell me, I beg of you, what do we hope to achieve with all of our labors? What is our aim in life? What is the motive of our service to the state? Can we hope for a higher office than to be friends of the emperor? And in that position, what is not fragile and full of dangers? How many hazards must one risk to attain to a position of even greater danger? Whereas if I wish to become God's friend in an instant, I may become that now. So he tells the story to Augustine about how he then gave his life to the Lord and said that serving Rome is not as good as serving God. And he tells the story to Augustine and Augustine is cut to the heart. He's convicted. He has this Holy Spirit conviction that overwhelms him. And Augustine realized that to follow the Lord, he needs to crucify his ambition to become a friend of God. And this leads to Augustine having a profound angelic encounter in the garden. And Augustine has a Zacchaeus moment with Jesus, a divine encounter with the Lord. And that leads, Zach, or, uh, leads Augustine to turn his life around and become a Christian just hours after hearing his friend's testimony. That Ponty let his life be the branches that others could climb up in so that people like Augustine could encounter Jesus. And when he did, the significance on the kingdom of God was eternal. The significance on the church is eternal, that Augustine is one of the church's greatest theologians because a man named Ponty told his story and let others climb into the branches of his faith. Friends, be trees to the Zacchaeuses in your life because no one is beyond the grace of our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we continue on with worship, if you are Zacchaeus and you haven't given your life to the Lord, let today be the day. I'll be over there for a time of prayer if you want to come and pray with me. Um, but as we continue on with Holy Communion, we remember that Jesus was gathered around a table with his friends, preparing a feast with them. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you whenever you eat of it. Do it in remembrance of me. 
When the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to you, Father, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. Lord, pour out a spirit of repentance upon us. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we've ignored the Zacchaeuses in our lives. Forgive us for not sharing your gospel with everyone we meet. And Lord, we receive your forgiveness as we confess our sins to you. Lord, we trust that you are calling us to something better than we can even imagine. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and juice so that we can be transformed, so that we can be who you have truly called us to be, so that we can love you more profoundly each day. And Lord, we just love you and we ask that you bring that transforming power into our lives as we say the prayer that your son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.